make 2020 fantastic. Come to Aircon, 13th to the 15th of March, and you can meet some fantastic people, play some fantastic games. Just everything is going to be fantastic. You can get your tickets now by going to aircon.co.uk forward slash tickets or by following the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for February, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe. Um, there's uh, there's things you can do. You can um, do many things with games, and but make sure you're getting them to the table. You don't want to keep them in the cupboard. You maybe want to take them off the shelf but depends what kind of shelf that you've got do you maybe have a wooden shelf a pine shelf a plastic shelf a metal shelf it doesn't matter but sometimes if you want that shelf to give you good advice on what you should be getting off the shelf in the first place maybe you should be looking at the girls game shelf because <laughs> join me from the girls game shelf I've got Anna Maria Jackson Phelps. Well, so hello. Hello. There. hello. <laughs> How are you? I am a good. Um, I'm a nine point seven. That's out of ten. I hope. <laughs> it, we'll see how we go ask me at the end All right, I will. and I'll tell you I'll tell you what it's out of uh, <laughs> at the end basically um, you are part of well you're part of the girls game shelf um, you're also getting involved in board game quests you um, you do a little bit of work alongside pencil first which one is one of my favourite publishers in the world Edo awesome. is a delight and a charm um, he is. But we're going to put that all to one side because we're going to talk about your good self because I believe there's other things that we need to talk about as well that we'll get around to, but we'll keep everybody in suspense. First of all, for everybody who's listening along for the first time, the reason that we do this is because <clears throat> there's still there's still not enough podcasts out there about board games and tabletop. Um iTunes have changed their search engine. It makes it impossible for you to find any of them at all. And the second reason that we do this is because um, I just wanted to speak to Anna Maria. So there you go, simple as. <laughs> and if you know, and I, there's there's few things in my life as I age that I'm allowed to to request and actually happen because <laughs> um, things are kind of going out with my kind of control, like walking and talking. And my eyesight and uh, my hair, which has decided to it's uprooting and decided to grow in my ears instead. But that's a completely different, <laughs> that's my midlife crisis podcast, which will be coming out called, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a musician. So there you go. Um, but um, the, I mean, as getting on, this is a serious show. Um <laughs> In terms We're professionals. Of, <laughs> we did double claps. Yes. <laughs> double. Everybody's going, what's that? You don't know because you're not a professional podcaster. <laughs> so there you go. Um, how, I mean, we could start off, we could start off with the boring question, which is, how did you get into board games? Because I ask that question all the time and people are going, can you not ask a different question? <laughs> so what, what I am going to be asking instead is a question that's just going to appear in the front of my head which was um have you are you always been quite creative then i mean have you always been kind of if i gave you like a pad and a pen as a young child were you always the person you would come back five minutes later and there would be like something 
a scribble or a drawing or some kind of piece of writing or something like that? Have you always kind of been doing, have you always had like a busy creative type mind? Um, yeah. Um, I, so I worked in art before I worked in board games. I'm a painter. Um, and I play a couple different instruments. So I guess all of the above, um, I just like to do things and (laughs) anytime I find something new, I like to apply myself to, you know, get a little good at it. Anyhow, I like to say, uh, Jack of all trades, an absolutely master of none. So, um, I dabble, (laughs) I dabble in a lot of stuff. Um, were you playing instruments from a young age then? Yes. Yes. Uh, piano lessons starting at three. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Were you like one of those child prodigies? Oh, not at yeah. all. Um, I can still play a little, mm-hmm. but uh, I remember distinctly the appeal of going to um, piano lessons when I was a kid was the piano lesson, uh, should the teacher lived across the street and she gave me donuts after we done with the lesson. So it was the donuts and maybe a little less the piano at that time. That was kind of the appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Do, I mean, because piano is one of these things where people go back and they go, "Oh, I wish I'd kind of kept on mm-hmm. with the lessons," because otherwise, you know, because I'd be heading up, um, I'd be opening for Ariana Grande at the moment, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, what was it? What else was it you played again? Uh, I play the flute, I play the oboe, oh, and I play uh, the trombone. So you're like a walking one woman band. <laughs> I could do the um Tina part in uh Mary Poppins where the yeah. chimney sweep is doing that. Yeah, I could do that. I totally that would be like my dream job. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> not not wait, I want to clarify that being yeah, a I chimney would. sweep is not my dream job. It's the I just part wanted where to say that instruments. that's you know, that is one of these um unfortunate roles that's probably probably dying out in the completely developed world, but I'm sure, you know, maybe there's a chimney sweep con. <laughs> Or something like that. Or, I mean, I'm sure... I mean, what happens nowadays is because we're moving away from being like an industrial nation, that maybe there are some old factories that maybe that have chimneys that you can just fulfil some kind of dreams. Kind Do you of know, thing. I'm going to take this and turn it into a chimney sweep game. So that's going to be my <laughs> next idea that I developed. <laughs> chimney, right, okay. Yeah. How, okay, how does the chimney sweep game work? Is it... Hmm. No. Hmm. I can't, you know, I, I can't divulge the secrets just now or else other people will be like, mm, chimney sweep game. And then suddenly 2021 is going to be all chimney sweep games. So I have to be exclusive. I think it has to be a push your luck game. Oh, absolutely it does. I think, okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. We're making up a game on the spot. Okay. okay. You are a chimney sweeper in a very, very posh house. Okay. Because the person is quite posh. They're also, they're a little bit stingy as well. So you they've decided that you're not allowed to use your normal blankets to cover the furniture, but they've only given you so many blankets, okay? Oh. So what you've got to do, right, what you've got to do is your blankets only cover so, so much of the room, but you've also got to sweep the chimney. Now you've got to decide. It's a pressure luck game, so you're going to decide how far you're going to be sweeping the chimney. And if you sweep the chimney too much you're burning cards in your deck and you'll eventually, if you produce too much soot, it covers various items in the room and if you cover too many items in the room, you lose. I like it. Boom. Yeah, I think we're done. I think That's put it. A, put, a, put a name on it, put our names on it and let's just do it. We can get Podcast started Podcast over. That's yeah. Ed, Edison. That good? <laughs> Edison done. That's it. 2020 yep. winner. 2021 <laughs> winner. You heard it here. You definitely... Definitely. Did you, um, so have you kept up the musical instruments then? Um, I don't play any wind instruments right now. Just, um, we move a lot, so it mm-hmm. didn't see, but I still have a piano and I still play that regular. You know, it, it seems funny actually I say I bring this gigantic piano from place to place with me, but I don't bring a little teeny flute case. Yeah. I could just imagine quick pack the trombone and the trumpet and the tuba and the oboe, just like multiple bags under your arms. Except what you're saying is, nah, I don't take my stuff far at all, but, you know, it's like you're just picking up, like, a piano in one hand and sticking it on the inside of your jacket, and it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. we're going. That's, I'm packed. You just, you just slip away. I'm away. I'm away. Um, 
is it quite I used because the piano is always one of these things that you're continually learning because I know of people that like they play the piano and it's like I can reach a certain point where it's almost like your dexterity your dexterity can start to give out unless you're practicing all the time or you could just say well I just can't get the notes kind of quick enough so do you play it just more for like fun relaxing do you actually go out and gig you know kind of oh, thing no i absolutely don't gig sometimes um for a couple of holidays we went to like um older folks homes and played christmas carols and that sort of thing but besides that i i mostly just play either for myself or do a little bit of practice just to keep my hand in you ever been tempted to do like theater stuff like you know the because we always used to have like a um there also used to be like a pianist who'd come in and do like the am dram. <laughs> so you'd, you'd have, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the Forsyth singers present Oklahoma with ele- with elephants kind of thing. <laughs> I can be- only imagine, gosh, between the time for rehearsals and just having to keep repeating it over and over again, that might get a little tedious for me. Just, so, <laughs> Especially if somebody couldn't hit that note. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, you oh. And we're going to restart over again. And we're going to restart. Yeah, no. It's, it's Jerry. He's the president's son of the club, but he just can't hit that top B. There's a bright Gordon Reigns on the meadow. Oh, God. Jerry, no. Jerry, Jerry, please. Jerry, please go back. Jerry, please, please go back to being a stagehand who's clever and can lift heavy things. Thanks very kind. Of, thanks very kind of much. Um, <laughs> but the musical side is obviously one side. Um, the painting, because this is fascinating. Because I, you know, I'm nosy. So <laughs> people all say, "Oh, well, how did you get into board games?" So that I want to. I mean, <clears throat> is that something you continue to do then as well? Was that again? Is that like the piano playing that? Unless it was a really good amdram, but I can see at the side <laughs> of the stage, I'll just here's my here's my constable. There you go. Um, is that something that you do? You've gone into doing like a professional basis then? I did. Um, so I taught art for a long time, um, right? And I did paintings. I did commissioned work for folks wow. for several years. Uh, just recently, I've actually just moved out of t- even teaching painting in just the last couple of years so now mm-hmm. when i when i do it i get to do it solely for myself now and that's kind of it, that's really nice to be honest after doing it for other people for so long it's nice to get back and kind of just have it be my hobby there's nothing i've done commissions because i've done paintings myself mm-hmm. and sometimes your vision of what something would look like Yes, absolutely. Contrastingly different from what, <laughs> and it's surprisingly that people think that art should be very, very cheap. There's <laughs> that as well. Yeah. Uh, what What can I get for thirty dollars? Yeah, I can do your fingernail for you. <laughs> That's what you kind of get. What was your um, What was your weapon choice? What kind of medium did you like to to kind of paint in then? Um, so I started in oils, but once I had kids that, um, having wet canvases around all the time was just not an option anymore. So mm-hmm. I moved into doing acrylic and that wow. way, um, it was easier to teach people too. So I taught, um, both grade school children and adults. So, um, acrylic's also a lot better to teach children because then they don't go home with clothes that are ruined every single time. So, and their parents seem to appreciate that. <laughs> it's the same with me. I'd end up a grown man with kind of like kind of little red and you wouldn't notice you'd spill a blob of paint on you and then you'd end up with that horrific thing where you've realized you've sat on the sofa and there's like a red dot it's everywhere yep on the sofa <laughs> and you've got to kind of wash it out was it but was there a kind of subject matter that you prefer to draw were you like a landscape person or a portrait person or what was it you kind of really like doing I like doing nature studies, um, landscapes, oh, wow. or even just still lives with flowers and fruits and that sort of thing. Um, when I was doing commissions, primarily, I did a lot of work on like um, painting other people's things. So they'd want like a picture of their house to hang over the mental in their house. So I'd, wow. I'd paint their house. <laughs> so you paint the outside of their house? So, so they it- could have a Yes, exactly. So in case they forgot while they were inside the house, what the outside of their house looked like, they could look at the picture and go, oh, that's my house. Yeah, I remember now. (laughs) Do you 
<laughs> Gee, honey, we're really successful. We finally made it. How do, how can we continually remind ourselves how much money we've got? <laughs> Let's get a picture of her. Let's get a picture of her house, kind of thing. Did you? Were you quite a detailed artist then? I mean, would you go right into you know the kind of the brickwork, or were you you know what kind of style would you? generally kind of fall well and and that in particular i mean that goes back to what you said about commissions you know mm. maybe i would start to paint something and think it looked better uh, a little bit more mm. um i wouldn't say abstract but um impressionist and then i would get the you know oh i don't see the fluting on the columns kind of comments <laughs> so so we would paint in all the fluting on those bloody columns exactly. so <laughs> i think you'll find there's a 1.3 million blades of grass in our lawn. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's true. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a it's a yellow lock we've got as well. Nobody's going to notice. I'll mm. know. Okay. <laughs> How much was it you were giving me again? Thirty dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> and exposure. Don't forget exposure. <laughs> I love that. The best thing about exposure is to say you know people die of exposure every year. <laughs> right. <laughs> that kind of thing but we also both yeah i've seen that it's just yeah let's gonna <laughs> do it. um but so you've you said you've kind of moved away from the kind of the teaching kind mm-hmm. of side of the side of things um so when did you start kind of getting into kind of like the games kind of media i mean i guess the next question is i mean when when did you first kind of get involved in modern board games because everybody talks about monopoly and stuff like that but do you remember how you kind of got involved in the kind of the i guess the gold the silver age of board (laughs) games as they would say yeah i'd had um so one of my sisters and brother-in-law live in belgium and they've been part of the german board game scene probably Mm -hmm. the early 2000s so they'd come over and visit and they'd been bring things that we hadn't seen before. But I think it really kicked off when I met my partner um, who I met at a tabletop role-playing game. And then I started introducing to board games. And so I, you know, I wanted to introduce him to more and more stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, and so our collection blossomed, (laughs) which is the nice way of saying we got a lot of board games all of a sudden. It's like it's like if you want to know somebody who is really good at Tetris, just see somebody who's also had a really good board game collection with kind of limited space. Yep. Because it's like before I had a board game collection, I was rubbish at packing suitcases. Absolutely, <laughs> dread. I would like you know there'd be, you know, either half full or it would be all unorganized. And now if you give me a, a suitcase to pack, I can tell you exactly how many clothes it's going to fit what size it's going to be, what shape it's going to be, you know, what way I have to put everything together in order to get it in the one suitcase. I am a kind of a suitcase master. And that's the same with everything. If I go to like, say, if I go to the supermarket and I come back with like the food shopping, I can fit that all in one cupboard. (laughs) We (laughs) We don't have to put stuff in fridges anymore. It just all fits and slots in there. And it's the same with my board game cupboard. It's like a Tetris puzzle. It's absolutely kind of um kind of immaculate. Do you um do you still have the first game that you purchased that you would consider a modern board game then? I do. Um it was Ticket to Ride Europe. Um wow. it's still my favorite ticket to ride, as a matter of fact. So we still have that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think it Do might you, be, hmm, I was just thinking, I don't know that we've got a ton more maps than that, honestly. Like we, for a while we had all of them and then we were like, this mm-hmm. is a lot of ticket to ride. So we kind of pared it back down. <laughs> it's like Power Grid as well. People kind of go, they get really into Power Grid. Yes. And they go and get all the 50 kind of, 52 right. different flavors of Power Grid. And then you see them like in six months time and it's like, well, you could bring your Power Grid collection and they've only got back down to like the base game and one other one because they just, they have all the expansions, but they never kind of bother, um, they never kind of bother playing them. <laughs> so yeah. they end up going, ah, I spent $120 on this and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just okay. <laughs> I'm just not getting any, anything out of this it's and I'm true. just having... 
It's cool. absolutely true. And I get the idea of collecting. Mm. And if you're a completionist, then go for it. But I mm-hmm. always urge folks to kind of take a look at their collection and, and see what they're actually playing, what comes to the table um, within a six-month or even a 12-month period. And if there's stuff that's just not making it to the table, maybe you can clear that space for other board games. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I got that and I, I've started doing that. There's a couple of games that I'll... I'll kind of I'll always hold on to for nostalgia reasons. I mm-hmm. reckon the same reason you've got your kind of later ticket to ride Europe. I mean, I've got um, I've got like Mice and Mystics. Yeah. And while I can't I can't confess I've played it too regularly of late. It was one of the games that I've played with all of the kids. So therefore, it has that kind of spe and it's a storybook kind of game and it's. You know, it's 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 one of the ones that um, a lot of people. Well, I have a lot of fond memories of, so I couldn't imagine me, kind of, um, kind of wanting to get rid of it. But on the same time, I'm kind of a bit more. I'm a bit less kind of holding on to games for the sake of playing it, and especially when I go through and say, "Well, actually, how many times have you played this?" And if you haven't felt the compulsion to play it, should it still be there? Right. Yeah, I think it's important. I think sometimes in the hobby, we talk a lot about how large someone's collection is. And, you know, if mm-hmm. they've got the space or they just have the desire to have 500 or 1,000 board games, good on them. But, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the average board gamer, you know, a collection of about, I don't know, I would say even 60 is probably well more than enough for to have some fantastic game nights um, and get to play everything that you really, really enjoy. Yeah, and getting it to the table more than once. Exactly. Because then you start to learn strategies and stuff like that. You know, there's games, there's there's a lot of merit in having a game that you get to the table five, six, ten times. Because then people start to learn it like they learn chess. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like when people go back to chess, they don't go back to chess because they've not played it. They've not played it in a while. They go back to chess because they still haven't gone through all the strategies that you can play it. And sometimes. I'm guilty as everybody else, especially, and you'll be the same if you're creating kind of content for games. Right. And a lot of the time you'll get like a minimum number of plays before you're kind of like, well, I played this in a rush to kind of get it played instead of letting it breathe like a wine. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing, you know? <laughs> like a wine. I like that. <laughs> um. Who do you generally play games with? Is there a set group of people? Is it family? Is it, you know, your partner? Um, Well, I do play a lot of things with Ben. So even Mm -hmm. um, when I was still tracking my plays, about 50% of everything I played had him involved. Um, And one of our writers lives nearby as well, uh, Benita, who writes for Girls Game Shelf with me. Um, She Mm -hmm. lives just another town over. So we regularly get together. And now that now that we're creating content together, too, we also have a regular, Okay, we have to do these games because we both have to write Mm -hmm. stuff or do videos on this. So we'll just play them together anyway. So I would say those are probably the, the big two. And then I've got a variety of gaming groups and I've got a really good local game store that I like to go to as well. So I've got a lot of opportunities where I am, which is fortunate. So you get, you're still getting quite a good chance to actually play games that you kind of want to play for fun as opposed to having to play games to kind of create something for them then? I think so. Um, there's I've always been compelled to create a little bit of balance there because I mm-hmm. I started doing this because I enjoyed it and now it, I happen to be fortunate that it is my job as well. But mm-hmm. if it ever hit a point where I just felt like I was slogging through, I think I would have to sit back and go, okay, I'm re- I really don't like doing this anymore or I'm, I'm not enjoying myself anymore. It, do I want to continue in this direction? So even when we do yeah. a review night or um, or I do a playthrough of something that I, I need to do for content, we'll you know we'll play something afterwards as like a palate cleanser or just pull out something mm-hmm. that we've enjoyed for forever just to just to have a fun time. Um, it, and it also helps to have play partners that you enjoy playing with a lot anyhow because sometimes even if the game isn't fantastic they can make it fantastic so that helps as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean totally there's a lot of times i've played a mediocre game but had an absolutely 
kind of fantastic time. Right. Because everybody around the table has recognised it's kind of not brilliant, but we've just embraced it anyway, and we still ended up kind of having a having like a decent fun time. Um, as opposed to kind of everybody taking it seriously and going, oh, I'm not enjoying this. I mean, sometimes it's just like it's sitting around, you're catching up, and sometimes the game almost becomes secondary to the event that you're having, which is just having a general kind of a general kind of catch up with people, which is pretty, yeah. you know, which is pretty, which is pretty kind of cool. Um, do you still do you still get the kind of oh wow kind of moments with games that you're playing at the moment? You know, where you're kind of you're halfway through a game, and you're like, oh, "This is this is pretty special." I mean, um, do you do you still get that on a regular basis? I, maybe not as regularly as before when I wasn't playing quite as many games, but I still have ones uh-huh. that I pull out, and um, maybe I picked up myself because the theme or um, the blurb that was sent to me about the content wasn't very detailed. And then I pull them apart and I start really kind of digging into the meat of it. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's always a fantastic discovery because there's something there, whether it's a really cool mechanic or a variation on the theme that you haven't seen before or something like that, that really kind of mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a spark there, and it makes it really super interesting, and and it makes the game special and the gameplay special as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd say I still have some. Is there anything you've been playing recently that's kind of like you've really kind of enjoyed playing? I have a, a I love it, I hate it game right now. Um, it's Wavelength, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's um, so there's a dial, and someone uh-huh. secretly knows where the dial is, and then they have to give a word to get their team to guess whether or not it, that thing would be close to the dial or would be far away from the dial. So for example, maybe the dial is um, uh, further to the left and on the left I have um, scary creature and on the right I have uh, um, comfortable creature. And so yeah. I know that the dial's on the left. So I say it's, you know, Bigfoot. Or something like that. And my team has to guess that that was the direction the dial is. Anyway, after I've given that long explanation, the thing is, I'm really, really terrible at this game. Like, I'm so... Because I can I can literally justify any answer. I'm like, oh, but Bigfoot, he's furry. And so that would make him kind of a comfy, comf- cuddly creature, Bigfoot right? Bigfoot and the Hendersons. Bigfoot and the Hendersons. <gasps> yes, exactly. I, mean, <laughs> I would say comfy. And if you're listening, if you're uh, listening to, like, Death by Monsters, then... You know, oh, yep. Matthew yeah. Matthew Jude is a huge Bigfoot fan. If you were playing him, and you said Bigfoot, he'd be right in the comfort. Exactly, he'd be right in the exactly. hero. He'd be saying that thing as a hero, <laughs> definitely on the right. So I can completely imagine how it's kind of confusing. Is it compelling because the kind of the? Is it compelling because the mechanics are so simple? Because it sounds like I could just gather a group of people around it, even if they were in the office, and say, right, this is what we're playing, and people would be able to pick it up and get it kind of straight away. I think that's primarily what it is. Every time I've played, it's been with a group of people that didn't really even know each other, and Mm -hmm. some of which did not play games um, at all, really. And everybody's been thrown in and just had... uh, I laughed so hard the first time I cried. I mean, actually had tears rolling down my face. It was so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, and you can't, you can't make a game situation like that happen. No. Right. That just has to be the perfect combination of a really good game. And then people who are willing to just really break loose and, and be goofy over it. So, and that, that really encouraged everybody to just, be a little bit crazy and it it totally worked so good good for them wavelength um i like i say i shake my fist in its direction because it does frustrate (laughs) me so much but in the best possible way (laughs) i mean is it is it something that you're going to go ahead and 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 are you going to create kind of like content for then i mean or is that one of the games that i'm just going to play it and it's just going to sit there and i'm going to bring it out and put it away again when it's required 
I was thinking it would make a really fun. So we do live playthroughs on the channel mm -hmm. on um, Sunday afternoons. And I was thinking yes. it would be hysterical to do it live with our audience as well and have them play with us, be part of one of the teams. So and they could like type in their answers. So I think we will. But it wasn't something that someone asked me to create content for. But I think it's so fun and compelling that it would be interesting and fun to create content for it. So I probably will. Yeah, I think um, was it? it was when I was talking to um, Suzanne, and 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 one of the things they said about the games have to be pretty simple, because playing something like say like certain games live on a live stream just kind of wouldn't work because you'd have kind of like three or four people kind of like with their heads down, kind of looking at their board, just seeing what the optimal move was. Whereas if it's kind of like more of a party game, you can put people on blast. You can be kind of, you know, there can be a kind of a, a, a kind of a taking the mickey out of each other kind of back and forward as people kind of get it wrong, get it right, right or get it wrong or whatever. So yeah, that would be, I think if you got, you can imagine like a if you had like about 40 or 50 people interacting with you that would just you know you'd say goodbye to your facebook messenger <laughs> it would just kind of it would just kind of it would just kind of crash um with you being quite involved in the kind of the the media side of the hobby is is there games that you are looking forward to finding out about more for this year then uh, like releases for this year or yes. just things? Oh, okay. Well, um, I had the opportunity to play Wonderland's War. Um, that's Skybound Entertainment and Druid so, City Games. I, I played it at Shucks um, and their Kickstarter is starting in a couple of weeks. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm over the moon about that game. It's so... Really? Yeah, I mean, I well, it's Alice in Wonderland based. So, and I love that IP. But it's just, it's also a really, really fun game. There's an element of head-to-head um, -head competition mm -hmm. and some, like, uh, strategic movements to, like, do some area control kind of things. And then there's, like, uh, pulling mm. things out of a bag, which was, like, last year's really hot mechanic, but they do it in a different way so it doesn't feel, like, the same. Um, great combination of mechanics. Fantastic art. Just over the moon about the art um yeah so is it is it mr C is it mr cuddington that's doing that yeah yeah it is yeah so i'm i'm super 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 excited about that one that's probably <laughs> that's probably my my very next one so that i'm excited about there's there's a lot coming this year there's a lot of good things coming this year because I remember I had James, James Hudson guested on the show about yeah. a couple of years back and he mentioned Wonderland then and, you know, he's like, oh, it's an exclusive, we're going to be bringing it. I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. And then he never spoke about it because I think that was when he moved to start working at Skybound. <laughs> yeah. And then everything kind of as with all kind of game development stuff kind of goes and gets changed and kind of thing and i thought for a while did he just pluck a name out of the sky <laughs> to get me to shut up because he brought because he was like we've got masquerade coming out and i was like right okay we've got sorcerer city coming out it's like Okay, we've got Tidal Blades coming out. It's like, I'm not hearing the W word here, James. Did you just, you know, say something to get me to... Be and I, I, you know, I completely would understand if somebody just told me something to, to, to shut me up. I, I would complete... I would help them, you know, if I was in their situation. <laughs> Um, but then he's like, all of a sudden it came out. And I was like, I, 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 know, <laughs> I know this game. I know the mention, especially the artwork with uh, the Cheshire Cat. I think I saw that kind of variation. I went, this is going to look, this could be pretty cool. This could be yeah. pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, Oath is obviously, it seems to be the big kind of. I'm a, um, I'm a, we've got um, Wednesday night, we'll be doing a live stream on Twitch and we'll be playing Oath for everyone. So if you want to take a look, check us out on Twitch on Wednesday night because we'll, be, we'll get, we're going to get to play it. Yay. <laughs> I'm super excited. End of podcast. I can't do this. You can't even just, you know. I am I am Jack's jealous rage. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put this episode out after the Wednesday. <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> I'm going to put this episode out after the Wednesday. So everyone so, will know it's still on my Twitch after that Wednesday, oh, and then right to watch then, later. Okay. <laughs> right? Okay, then that's fine. Okay, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win this. Um, um, I think I just think people are interested to see what leader leader games do next. I think, especially right. how it's got the same artwork as Root, and 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 I think when you've produced such a successful kind of um, IP. The first time round, and it's gone on to have many expansions, and then it's like, I think when people saw the artwork, the first thing is that everybody kind of went, "Oh, is this another kind of semi-different version of Root?" And it turns out it looks like it's a completely different game. We're obviously going to have to um, tune into your Twitch screen screen <laughs> um, to see how fantastic it is. It is going to. Can it be talk about taking the wind out of somebody's sails? I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> with the con, I mean, speaking of content creation and obviously um, jealousy, I suppose we might as well bring that in. Um, what made you dis? What made you decide to kind of go? Okay, I am going to. I'm enjoying the games. I'm enjoying playing the games. I've actually got something to say about this, and I want to kind of help kind of I want to get that out there I want to tell people about what I think oh um I've told this story a couple of times so if, if, if anyone's listening to this story before I'm sorry but um so I actually fell into this entirely by accident I was at a convention and I went to a panel that was entitled women in popular culture and so they talked a little bit about movies and television and that sort of thing and um, then they were taking questions from the audience and someone asked about games and the women on the panel weren't yeah. able to answer. So I ended up answering from the crowd and then another game question came up and I answered again. So there were probably five or six questions from the crowd that I ended up answering during this panel. Um, so at the end of the panel, the women um, and this would have been legendary women uh, approached yeah. me and they were like, hey, can you write about games for us? <laughs> So I was like, sure, um, <laughs> because I obviously have a lot to say about games. <laughs> so yeah, that was the start. That was, um, I think, about three years ago now. Right. Um, okay. And during that time is when I actually interviewed Kiki for Legendary Women, and Kiki is the originator of Girls Game Shelf. So yes. um yeah, so we got to know each other through that. And so eventually mm -hmm. she was like, I need someone to be the editor because we want to have this blog on the website. And I was like, pick me. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how it came about. <laughs> and um, I mean, in your time, have you continued to hijack other people's panels or um, is that just being kind of like... No, Being kind of like a one-off. <laughs> I mean, do you just jump into like Gen Con and say, I can, I know the answer. To, I yes. know the answer to that. Yes, I do it I all the time. The I hijack other people's podcasts as well and talk about how I'm playing I, Oath. I did, didn't want to <laughs> even, you know, I was quite, I'm kind of quite, I was moving away from that, which is why we changed the topic so distinctly. <laughs> and then you're just going to keep bringing it up, aren't you? I am. Just going to keep I am. bringing it up. Um, <laughs> Is it hard work being an editor then? Is it hard? Is it hard work? Because normally, I mean, <clears throat> I do some light editing. I mean, Steve, who writes for the the show on, on a regular basis, um, I do some light editing of his stuff, and I mean very, very light editing. I mean, there's maybe sometimes like formatting and stuff like that, um, and we know each other quite well. Is do you have to kind of like put on? Is it easy ed to edit your kind of people that you know and people that have become friends over a period of time, or in terms of kind of editing it, or is it you more a case that you're kind of organising stuff, kind of editor type role? I think it gets easier over time. Um, Michelle Ridge, who is the the puzzle our puzzle uh, mistress and does like bunny plays on Twitter, and she has a whole host of puzzly things she does she was her first uh writer who was not me and mm -hmm. before we knew each other um editing did take longer and i i had to go through things more but the the more 
women we bring in and we kind of, I should also throw out that we let everyone have their own voice. So if you read through the different content, even if, um, uh, Michelle's reviewing something or Benita is or Fratessa is or who is, you can tell who it is because their style is how they speak mm-hmm. and, and how they like to convey things. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty light editor, but it, it really does get easier the longer someone uh, uh, the longer that I'm working with someone because I get to know them and how they like to craft their content mm-hmm. and they get to know me and the things that I usually will catch or say something about. And so they just go ahead and work it in before, before I even get like, you know, like colons, like actually putting colons. In. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oxford um, commas, Oxford yes. commas. Are, are they, are they important or are they not important? Yes. They are important. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, though, I, while I will go through and edit for things like that, I um, uh-huh. actually think that language does evolve. And the if you can convey th- what you're thinking, I don't, I don't even care if you mix up your homophones. Like, you know, just get your idea out there. That's that's the important part. Is conveying to people what you're thinking interesting ideas and opinions and things like that so that means more than than i'll and i'll say it here but i'll only say it once that means more than an oxford comma or a colon so (laughs) exclamation marks are you talking brackets or parentheses as well oh i mean Mm. just expanding on stuff i i i i kind of i write like a talk um which means that you know um, I am desperate in need of an editor, but I won't let edit anybody edit my work. So I, I, it's almost a case that it needs a full stop, and it sometimes needs entire paragraphs just deleted because it's just like a a word stuff. But I am a strong believer that um, the medium itself in board game critique kind of needs to move more into experiences instead of just an opinion. I think that. Um, I think there's a lot there's a lot of content out there which is just here's the game this is what I thought and I am of an opinion where I will um just let my mouth go like I'm doing just now and just type <laughs> away and kind of see what sees what comes out and kind of fits it because I want it to be entertaining because I think anybody with the access being relatively easy and that somebody can go into blogger and set up a blog account and then start typing away. Um, it takes an awful lot of work to to find your voice and to have the courage to find your voice as well because I think there's an awful lot of people that get caught into the thing where they think they need to spend 400 words telling you how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many videos out there that tell you how to play the game. I mean, I can't explain how to play or how you should be playing, say, you know, The Godfather any better than anything that Rodney Smith's ever done or anything better than, you know, Paul Grogan's done or, you know, uh, or or Monique um, is before you play's done, you know, that kind of thing. I mean... Um, but I, I think the the experiences. I want to find out if people laughed, if people thought it was funny, if people were kind of enthralled by it, if there was a certain thing that annoyed them, if it didn't annoy them, did it inspire them, kind of thing. And I think we're kind of getting there, but it's very, very kind of slow. But it takes kind of kind of courage to write about that. Um, do you think? Do you think that we we're where we need to be in terms of how we're putting together the reviews to the games, so do you still think we've kind of got a, like, a little way to go? I think there could be more um, and and more variants. Uh, look how big and how fast Paula kind of popped up with board game comedy sketches, right? Which mm-hmm. was undone. And But obviously people wanted it because everyone's so enthusiastic and every new video gets bigger and bigger. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I mean, like you say, there are a lot of people who are doing reviews or how to plays or, and there's a place for every single one of those. Cause some of those, sometimes you do want to know how do I play this game or, you know, does this yeah. person I usually agree with like it? Um, yes. but I think there is absolutely space 
for different kinds of content. It's it's another reason why I like to let our writers explore um, their own voice because for example, for example, for Tessa Scott, who writes for us is also a board game designer. So anytime that she talks about a game, the way she talks about it, the way she approaches it is from if she were designing it or if she were breaking it apart to explain the design. And yeah. so the things that yeah. she writes about games are so unique because it's not, here's 400 words on how it plays. Here's 500 words on what I think about it. It's this, it's this minute breakdown of, I, you know, of, Oh, and then they added this mechanic and I hadn't thought about that, but if they'd gone in this direction, how it would have changed the game. And it's just fascinating to see different kinds of game breakdowns and game content and, and media. Um, because I think there are a lot of people in this industry, uh, a lot of people in the community and hobby who have been in here for a while now who are looking for things that are different because they know where to go to find their how to play or yeah. their favorite review or whatever. So, um, but I do think, I think we're getting there. I, I've, there have been several people that have kind of cropped up in this last year that are doing new things or different things or with a different kind of quality. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that as we go forward into 2020. Yeah, definitely. As I say, I think it's um, for some people it's a case of um, actually going out and trying and not being afraid of the first couple of times that they do something different as well. Because mm -hmm. I know I see there's a huge... We're, I think one of the things about board game media that you discover quite quickly is people are quite... Um, people are quite secretive about their actual numbers, about what their reach are. Mm -hmm. you know they'll not go out and say and I think what happens is that in some cases people say I'm expecting to put out a podcast and have 10,000 downloads and they <laughs> do that and they get 50 and then <laughs> and then they're like oh I'm rubbish whereas if you speak to most people people getting kind of 50 downloads on their first podcast unless they've been like doing paid advertising for the last six months just popping up and having a podcast and getting 50 downloads is an excellent thing you know getting 50 people to read your blog is an excellent thing kind of thing getting like anybody to watch your youtube video all the way through is absolutely brilliant and and, and i sometimes think it's uh, um you know board game media itself doesn't garner that many views or that many downloads or stuff like that compared to other kind of bigger kind of mainstream things and i think sometimes that might put people off in terms of the measure the measurement of of kind of like uh, of kind of like success oh absolutely i mean the biggest people in our industry are have nowhere near the knob the numbers of someone like say markiplier right yeah. if you're looking at just purely youtube stuff so you know it's it's still even though we're completely immersed in it and talk about it 24 7 it's still a hmm. relatively small hobby so it's not an enormous and to boot of the people who are playing more than half of them are not doing things on the internet. They're con not consuming the content. They just go out and they buy board games. They take them home and they play them and that's all they do. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I do yeah. think people get a little surprised cause they're like, man, I know like a thousand people and it's like, okay, well <laughs> talk to every single one of them. <laughs> um, the, the girls' game shelf is all about kind of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, do you is that something that you you're constantly kind of feeling that you're having to continue to spread the word about that, continue to kind of push that out there until it becomes like a norm. You know, I take it you've had people saying, well, "Why don't you have the boys' game shelf?" Kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's so my first experience with games, um, I used to be a competitive video gamer. I used to play Counter-Strike um, and that was 20 years oh. ago. So at that time, being a woman playing games was just so completely abnormal that it was really, I'll say awkward to be in those spaces. <laughs> um, I feel like normalizing women at the table and, and this goes for as well for people of color and queer folk and, you know, a lot of marginalized people is still something that we need to work on 
as a community and as an industry because it's still not it's still unusual to walk into a game space and see a table or two that aren't you know that are filled with anybody who aren't just you know i mean regular just average joe white guys and you know nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with average joe white guys but it's you know it's when you walk into a convention and and the split's even like 25 percent, you're like oh wow there's a lot of ladies here but then you in your head you're like except for more than 50 percent of the population of the world is women and more than Mm -hmm. 50 percent of the people who identify themselves as gamers are women so why isn't this split here Mm -hmm. at my game store at my convention or wherever why isn't that 50 percent you know what is keeping women away from that table. And so when we kind of dig down and we see that sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just not awareness, but a lot of times it's they're, you know, they're uncomfortable in situations and we need to make better spaces so that people, you know, so that those people do feel comfortable coming to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't comment on that, can I? I mean, it's just a difficult, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of a strange because I I can't personally comment on personal experience because I can't you know I can't say I've ever walked into a room and felt ridiculously uncomfortable except you know except that kind of one time, um, and that was a strange time because it was when I went to a mother and baby group and I was the only guy in the room and I kind of felt I'm kind of not this is a space that isn't for me. And I kind of, you know, and it was a kind of a strange kind of time. But then every other time, it's like, well, it's fine. Yeah, you know, but there is something to be said Well, maybe you can't speak directly to the experience. You know, having white male allies who help create spaces at the table for other people is mm-hmm. enormous. Because there's, I mean, there's a certain type of dude who isn't going to listen to anyone else but another dude. So when they start to yell on the internet about how they don't want certain people at the table, when the pushback comes, not at someone that they can directly be angry at, but someone, you know, that to them is on their level, then, you know, not only have you managed to deflect and in in a way kind of protect the person who otherwise might have gotten harassed, but you get those jokers either thinking about it or you make them shut up. And either way, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see, I see that. I see also, I see, um, unfortunately, a lot of guys in my situation just completely kind of staying out of it um, because um, they feel uncomfortable kind of bringing it up they don't want to end up coming across the wrong way. They don't want to end up coming across as patronising. They certainly don't want to come across kind of, um, yeah, feeling, you know, feeling that they're patronising somebody, feeling that they are white knighting the kind of the situation as well. So I know some people, when it comes to the inclusivity, if you ask them directly, do you support that? They would come back and say, yes, I do, but I don't. I wouldn't necessarily push myself into a situation where I was challenging somebody else or getting involved because I would feel kind of un- uncomfortable with that as well. I mean, it's a, it's such a, it can be a complicated, it can be a complicated issue until it's maybe brought up enough so it doesn't become a kind of a complicated issue, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why we have to talk about it, right? You know, so we have Mm. these conversations, so people do get more comfortable. And I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you feel like you need to speak up, and not just you, anyone, if someone feels like they need to speak up, say something. And if it turns out that maybe their voice wasn't needed at that moment, and if somebody says something, then, you know, you can go, oh, okay, you know, I'm here, if you need me, just let me know, sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. it's, as I say, it's a, it's an interest. (laughs) It's an interesting place um, because there's different. I, there's different kind of, I guess, makeups, splits, and stuff like that, depending on kind of geographical areas as well, and depending where you are in the world. Sure. Based on where you know, especially on kind of like in the, in the kind of the, the country. I mean, um, you know, in terms of kind of ethnic diversity and background. I mean, I was born in the mid seventies, and um, the, you know, there wasn't. There wasn't diversity. There wasn't diversity in the school until I got to like kind of like primary five. Until it was like two years before I went to high school, and and we had um, 
two kids from kind of like Vietnam, kind of <laughs> who are Vietnamese, kind of joined the school. And we had a, um, a girl whose family had moved over from Bangladesh and that was it. So it was kind of like, you know, it's a kind of like we get a different kind of makeup as well. So um, it's kind of that to get kind of taken into consideration. It's a very, very complicated issue that we probably aren't going to solve in the next kind of like five <laughs> Five or ten. Five or ten minutes. We're um, professionals. We can do this. <laughs> we've done a double clap, as we said at the beginning. Yes. But also, at the same time, I mean, there's a... You're, you mentioned in the fantastic green room, um, which we just had recarpeted, that you are <laughs> going into... You're going to be involved in this year. This is a year that you bring out your design game. Yes. So for you, Anna Maria, are you do you want the label of being just a games designer or are you wanting to be known as a female board game designer? You know, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um obviously for starters, yes, absolutely board game designer, but do I want to help mm-hmm. normalize women in the design space? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Hargrave is actually a friend of mine. She's part of my design group and she's been very vocal about bringing more women into the di- design space and celebrating yep. women in the design space over the last year. And I've, I've taken a lot from the things that she said. And so, um, Yeah, you know, it's really a lot about just showing up and just saying, yes, you know, women can be in this space. And yes, it's normal for women to be in this space. I'm here. She's here. This person over here is here. Um, So taking the opportunities to and if you have to seek out, you know, women designers or, you know, whoever it is, then do a little bit more of that so that we get to see just how many there are out there. When I started doing the Designing Women series, I thought, okay, I'll highlight a dozen or so ladies and I'll start, the well will start to run dry. And I've been doing that for over a year now. We publish a new one almost every single week. I'm not even, I haven't even scratched the surface of the number of women who have designed board games and being able to interview them and talk to them about their experiences and stuff. So even I, when I started doing this, didn't think that there were that many. And it turns out there's, there's hundreds you know, they just need an opportunity for someone to hear their voice and to, to recognize mm-hmm. that their name's on the box. So um, I'm just excited to have my name on a box too. <laughs> tell me, tell me about this box. See if you're saying you're going to help design the expansion for Oath, yeah. I'm seriously going to edit you saying all different types of nasty things. But um, <laughs> what, 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 what is the game that you're going to be bringing so to us um summertime is going to be synchronized swimming i designed that with amelie laroche um uh, of zerua games she did dino dig last year and she's got quirky circus coming out in a couple of weeks um Mm -hmm. and it's about synchronized swimming you're actually on a team and you're trying to synchronize with members of your team we're going to be releasing that during the olympics i have um a let's say a variant, like an expansion almost coming out with paint the roses with North star. Uh, I think that's coming out in third quarter. So, um, so it'll be a Kickstarter add on to the main game, which will change the gameplay almost entirely uh, as a variation. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then um, I have a composting game that is currently with a, a um, publisher that I can't, I can't say who yet. Um, and I'm really, that's that's been my baby because it's a sustainability project as well as a board game. And the two to me go like, I'm I'm really, really happy about that one. So I'm looking forward and hopefully that one will get published this year as well. So I've got a, a couple of things out there. Is it strange being on the other side of the fence then? Oh, oh yes, know. 100%. Yeah, it's super, super weird. Um, I just did my first like large scale playtest event um, this weekend. I've done some small stuff, but not, not you know like just you know a dozen tables and just all sorts of people milling around. And yeah. usually I attend those as someone who playtests and then talks to the designers. And I ended up losing my voice a little bit at one point because and I'd, I'd explain my game like nineteen times in a row, just back to back <laughs> to back. Uh, <laughs> 
it was bizarre. And then somebody started asking me questions and I was, I like, I had to almost sit back for a second. Cause I was like, this is literally what I would be asking someone else right now. And like, I'm having to answer this and I have no idea what to say. So in a way too, it also, when someone gets a little bit like, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't know how to do an elevator pitch in this second for my board game. I've got way more sympathy now. <laughs> Are um, our games our games people media as annoying as we come across? <laughs> you know, being on the other side of it. Are <laughs> you been uh, sitting there and going, "We just go away now"? Just you know, <laughs> I've answered your questions. You know, kind of thing. I'm gonna I'm I'm give that one a no comment because I I love all my other uh, content creators. So yes, uh, y'all are fabulous, and I like you very much. <laughs> No one's annoying ever. I just yeah, that was fair. That was too. That was a political answer. That was a politician's answer. There, that was so. I, dip, I live in Washington so D.C. Well, I guess yeah. I suppose that is you know if you're if you're gonna get if you're gonna get a politician's answer, then you're definitely kind of sitting in the in the kind of the right place. Um, what does what does that okay? I was going to ask one question, but I'm kind of slightly swerving um, to get another oath joke in. No, I'm not. I'm going to. Um, <laughs> but what would, I was going to say, what would you rather be? Would you? No, I was going to say, would you rather be attacked by uh, a rabbit the size of a horse or a hundred uh, horses the size of a rabbit? But that's not the job. Um, if things, say you're going down the Terry Pratchett trouser leg of time, Okay. Oh my goodness! You just na- do you know that's my favorite author of all time, forever. Best books, yeah. best books. Night Watch. Oh and I'll yeah, fight anyone is. Oh my god! And I'll yes. Fight any- oh, we're and I'll best fight friends anyone now. that says it isn't. There you go. That's it. Right. Yep. Okay. So I have to. I have to ask the nice, polite version of this question. But if you're going down the trouser leg of time, okay, mm-hmm. and you had the choice of staying in what you're doing just now, um. Board Game Quest and the Girls Game Shelf and um, the marketing stuff that you're doing and that just really takes off and everything's going well with it or become a really well-known successful published designer oh wow Um... which one the cruelty is in you answering having to answer the question <laughs> oh my gosh that's really hard um do you know though i think i say, would say that i would say in content creation um and the reason why is because part of the reason I, you know a large part of the reason that i moved into doing this job in the first part is i wanted to create positive change in the hobby for everyone um i wanted to help more folks who are marginalized sometimes in this community make it to the table and be able to enjoy this as much as I have and as much as many other people get to. And I think that um, given that, I'm, I'm better positioned to do that as a content creator than I would be as a designer. So um, I'd probably stay where I am, but I would be very sad that I didn't, that I didn't get to fulfill my design dreams. <laughs> <laughs> So balance is restored. You know, it's the, the entire thing. I've now made you sad, which is of yes. in some kind of cruel ways made me a little bit happy. Um, I'm not going to say anything else. Um, <laughs> so you've got various different things coming out during the year, but if people want to keep an eye on you on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet webs? I'm everywhere. So the website is girlsgameshelf.com. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter at girlsplay underscore games or girlsgameshelf. Uh, I'm on Instagram as girlsgameshelf and Anna Maria Jackson Phelps. And our Facebook group is also, surprise, Girls Game Shelf. So, um, and you can also find me on Board Game Quest writing reviews over there. So, like I said, a little bit everywhere. And I'm, if you approach me on Twitter, I'm there all the time, every single day. So if you want an answer, that's the best place to send me a DM. But make sure it's a nice DM or else I'll just be mad about it. So <laughs> that's, that's me not sending any DMs then. 
um, <laughs> if if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, you can send us DMs. Our DMs are open, you know, <laughs> like a sock on a windy day. Um, you can go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and our our website and our blog, which we also do reviews, but they're not frustratingly as good as the stuff that you see on the Girls Game Shelf, which is a <laughs> bone of disappointment. Um, but you can also, uh, if you like what you listen to, um, go and find us on the podcast catcher of choice. The ones that have the word pod, the ones that have the word cast, and the ones that have the word neither. <laughs> um, or you can go into Apple Podcasts and you can drop us a subscription or a rating or a review. Um, if you are going to be dropping us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. Um, don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Uh, give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not being average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Anna Maria Jackson Phelps. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very, very much for coming Thank on. Thank you. This was so fantastic. I had a blast. <laughs> there we go. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Anna Maria? You are absolutely wizard, 100%. That's stupid. And um, the second thing is to say goodbye. Um, so it's goodbye from Anna Maria. Say goodbye. Goodbye. And it's uh, goodbye from me. Remember, um, um, stay safe. Um, roll sixes and uh, make something awful and um, you know being honest I prefer Suzanne but until the next day <laughs> goodbye <laughs> bye <laughs>